0: this blew up, listeners. If you're enjoying our show, you might also like some of The Ringer's other narrative podcasts, like Just Like Us, a deep dive into the era of tabloids. Think TMZ and paparazzi, Benifer and Brangelina. Or Gamblers, a show about people who make money off the weirdest stuff. Like, did you know you can gamble on chess? We like making shows for you here at The Ringer. And we like you. Thanks for listening.
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but
2: let me play devil's advocate
1: here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
3: This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
0: Just a note before we begin, this episode mentions suicide. If you are in crisis or if someone you know is in crisis... Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. So how did you end up deciding to move to LA? Are you vaping?
4: <laughs> no, I'm, I, It's bad. It's bad.
0: What flavor is that?
4: <laughs> it is lush ice. I have been trying to quit for almost a year now, and being in LA definitely did not help at all because everywhere that you go, there's like 50 vapes in your face and it's like, oh my God.
0: That person vaping is Chase Swerneman. You might remember him from the first episode. He's the guy who got both a tattoo and a job working for Clubhouse founder and CEO Amir Ben-Yohanan all in the same night. Some quick background on Chase. He'd grown up bisexual in the teeny conservative town of Cut and Shoot, Texas. He came to idolize Scooter Braun, the guy who discovered Justin Bieber on YouTube. And when he was 18, he moved to L.A. to pursue his dream of getting into the music business and becoming a talent manager. Chase worked part-time at a Starbucks to support himself while he learned about the industry, made connections, and partied. After a few months of getting to know the scene, he and a few others put together a collab house called Inspire, In case you're wondering, yes, he embellished the name by replacing the letter E with a three.
4: It was my idea just because I was like, all right, we have to be different somehow. I was like, there's probably an inspired something out there. So let's just make it, you know, interesting and put a three at the end of it.
0: During this time, he embellished a few other things, namely his age and hometown and the fact that he helped write bubbly the 2007 hit pop song by colby Calais. Silly place it starts in my toes and I crinkle my nose wherever it goes, i always know. He told me in retrospect it was dumb to lie about this stuff and he wishes he never did. But he just wanted so badly to be taken seriously.
4: And i think it was also a sense of um oh this is nerve-wracking. It was a sense of identity. I grew up in a small town, Hickory, you know, southern, middle of nowhere, rode horses all the time. And going out to LA um, was sort of an escape from that. And I didn't want to bring that with me, if that makes sense. I wanted to just start fresh, start from the beginning and just sort of be my own person.
0: Long story short, no matter how much creative license Chase took in his personal reinvention, It didn't make up for his inexperience. As he tells it, his initial attempt at organizing a collab house fell apart when investors that offered him money and resources disappeared and he could no longer pay rent. The influencers involved say Chase himself made a lot of promises he couldn't deliver. Eventually, some of them complained about Inspire's messy implosion in a Vox article. Whatever happened there, Chase's first foray into the collab house business had been a failure. So when Amir recruited him to work in an operations role at his content house in early 2020, he jumped at a second chance. By the way, I've reached out to Amir several times, but haven't heard back from him. As Chase tells it, after his first week at the company, he realized just how much responsibility he was being given and relished in it.
4: By the end of that week, I was like, holy smokes. I was like, this guy is very straightforward. Usually, like, like let's say it takes one day or five days to get one task done. No, he wanted like 15 tasks done in one day. It was just such a crazy like, opportunity that I was like, okay, I, I think I can bite the bullet on this and sort of just, you know, make it work.
0: Despite his spotty track record and the fact that he was just 19, Chase was on his way from being a failed Content House founder to a high-level manager within Clubhouse, one whose job it was to manage creators like Daisy Keach and Leslie Golden, to give them assignments and lay down the law when they didn't deliver. If Chase's career rise seems a bit sudden compared to most other jobs, I've come to learn that it's typical of the social media world. It's a scene where money and clout or your proximity to people who have it gives you a free pass to the top and your qualifications for being there come later or not at all. I thought a lot about something I read in the letter internal to Clubhouse Media Group. That's the name of the company that ran Clubhouse among other content houses. In that memo, a distraught contractor compared her work environment to the Stanford Prison Experiment. This is the infamous 1971 simulation that divided young volunteers into two groups, prisoners and prison guards, and observed them 24-7 as they acted out their roles. To quote the letter, whoever is given power abuses it. No questions asked. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak, and you're listening to This Blew Up. The more I learned about the people who were part of the upper management at Clubhouse, the more I was reminded of a type of guy I've come across time and time again in my lifelong fascination with fame. He's usually dubiously qualified and possesses one of a handful of titles in the biz. Manager, head of A&R, president, investor. Sometimes he's a former entertainer who's only a few years older than the influencers he's scouting. Maybe he meets them at an IHOP outside the convention center where VidCon is held every year, at a casting call, or in the comment section of a TikToker's livestream. The point is, he positions himself as a middleman between talent and profits, and is motivated by whatever stats, publicity, and cultural values might make him the most money. In the influencer ecosystem in particular, he functions as a proxy between a handful of major tech platforms, potential advertisers, and the kids who dream of fame. In essence, a self-interested lackey of the algorithm. And in the free-for-all of the TikTok boom, these types were quick to latch on to whatever famous teen they could find. After someone goes viral on TikTok, they might get lucky and link up with an agency run by professionals who follow industry standards, give them fair contracts, and also enough support to foster real creative pursuits. But more often than not, their first point of contact is with some rando. In some cases, you know, you go really viral and no one in your life has
1: any idea what that means or what you can really do with it.
0: Rebecca Jennings covers internet culture at Vox and wrote that story about Chase's first attempt at a content house. She says young people are especially susceptible to these kinds of opportunists.
1: In that case, you know, you'll probably get a bunch of DMs from all these people saying, you know, I can make you a lot of money. Would you like to sponsor this brand? I can make your dreams come true, basically. And you have no way of really vetting that person. And all you're sort of thinking is like, oh, my God, this is it. Especially if you just go from a regular teen to having a bunch of followers overnight, which on TikTok, that is more possible than any other platform.
0: There's already a pretty big power imbalance when someone comes along and promises a hopeful teen, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it's only that much more exaggerated when you throw content houses in the mix and that same person becomes a teen's de facto landlord. After TikTok exploded in popularity, there were a lot of examples of this on all ends of the spectrum. I told you about that Vox report where influencers complained about Chase. There was also an article where a house manager was accused of locking one of their clients into a contract and leaking another's nudes. Another young creator who quit his job at Paxson to join a content house told me his manager left him on the hook for rent, and he ended up having to sell a few pairs of shoes to pay for it. Clubhouse was one of the most robust operations that launched at the time. At the top of its org chart was Amir, who was funding the company with his own money. Below him was Chris Young, who was tasked with expanding the business. And on that third rung were a handful of fresh and hungry contractors like Chase Werneman, who were responsible for managing the influencers. As Young put it,
1: Amir liked to hire, I guess, younger kids to run the houses because he felt that they were more in touch with the talent, uh, with the influencers.
0: I would also add that inexperienced newcomers like Chase are famously still figuring out a lot of the basics of human existence which makes it a lot easier to get them to do things that most people wouldn't. Back to spring of 2020 in Beverly Hills. This sparkly new creator haven, known as Clubhouse BH, had just been announced to the public with much fanfare. And now roughly 10 creators were living and filming there on a daily basis, alongside a whole video crew and a growing staff. Daisy Keach, the fitness influencer who was the face of the house, said those first few weeks were a blast.
2: You know, it's just all of us doing our TikToks in the big house together. <laughs> it was really fun just having like this synergy of all the girls and all like strong, independent, creative women. I think that was in the beginning, it was a really fun time just to see everybody getting along and sharing ideas. This was the honeymoon phase.
0: It might go without saying, but Clubhouse was a very fun place to be if you were a teen or a 20-something just getting started in L.A. in the early days of the pandemic. They were all cooped up inside together like it was one big perpetual slumber party. Videographer Kevin Zenny recalls the vibe.
4: We just told, like, stupid stories and just hung out and just drank It ended up being like an every night thing where I was just like drinking beer or like White Claws for some reason. I don't, I honestly don't know why, but it was like that for like three months and I was pretty much an alcoholic.
0: There was a lot of partying on the roof and by the pool and a lot of jumping off of the roof into the pool. go
4: right through the middle. Three, two, one.
0: Eventually, one of their Beverly Hills neighbors got so fed up with all the noise and the clusters of candy-colored sports cars lining her block that, in an email I reviewed, she said she'd notified the police and called them, quote, a bunch of animals. On the work side of things, everyone was on their own schedule, getting up at different times and creating content together whenever they could. Each week, every influencer would receive an individual sheet of paper that spelled out the deliverables they needed to complete. There would also be group meetings with Amir and Chris about what kind of sponsored parties or trips they were planning for the weeks ahead. I should say, Chris denies being a part of the day-to-day decision-making at the content houses, but there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. Daisy, Leslie, and a handful of other people who lived and worked in the house said, at the beginning of this venture, he was very involved. It may be true that his role changed over time but there's footage of him go-karting with young creators for the house YouTube channel even after Daisy left. I've even reviewed messages that show Chris participated in a group chat for another content house the company launched later on. At the time, Daisy was the house's most well-known member. She could command 80 grand for a single brand deal according to Chase. And she was still under the impression that per early negotiations with Chris and Amir, she would be given the power to lead house strategy. But pretty quickly, she realized that was not going to happen.
2: I didn't have as much say as I thought that I would and as the other girls in the house thought that I did.
0: Instead, she was granted a kind of elevated consulting status among creators.
2: Amir was the main decision maker. And it was more of like, you know, me going to him with ideas and things that I think that we should do what I think we could improve, but I never really had the main decision-making power. This wasn't the setup Daisy was expecting, but she was still in a pretty comfortable
0: position. She remained the face of the budding Clubhouse brand, lived on a Beverly Hills compound rent-free, and was bringing in big personal brand deals. Even so, it was a lot to live with that many personalities, and sometimes people pushed up against each other. Daisy and Leslie Golden, the influencer with the smallest following, clashed every now and then. For Daisy, a self-described introvert, this could be especially overwhelming. The weird thing was, at a certain point, she began to wonder whether management was encouraging these kinds of disagreements,
2: maybe even designing them. I'm sure it's very possible, and I've definitely heard assumptions of that. Whenever I would have drama with people, if my feelings get hurt about something, I always do bring it up. I like to hit things head on. And I think that, you know, maybe that could have been taken advantage of in certain ways. I think it's possible. Like, I I honestly, I can't confirm it. I can't deny it. I've never point blank asked them that.
0: Whatever was happening, her comfort with the company's leadership began to wane.
2: I definitely did not feel like it, that they were the right people to share my feelings with.
0: As it turns out, Leslie Golden would soon encounter the same kind of social engineering. Only with her, it was much more direct.
1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
3: This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it.
0: We've been looking at Clubhouse through the eyes of people who lived and worked there, but I want to zoom out a little and look at it from the point of view of the business. The goal wasn't just to make friends, it was to make money. Rent at this Beverly Hills property cost $42,000 a month, and that was before living expenses and shoot budgets. For the most part, Amir was using his own money to cover these costs. So as soon as everyone was settled, he pushed to grow the company's social media accounts and land sponsorships. Often, that meant a mere reaching out to the members and staff of the household directly. But also, he expected Chase Swearneman to enforce his numerous demands. You might remember that Chase was a young Texas transplant who, despite his relative inexperience, became head of talent at the company, handling influencer contracts, brand deals, and everything in between. He also lived at Clubhouse's Beverly Hills property full-time, Amir texted and called him at all hours of the day to ask about the progress of his towering workload or remind him that certain creators hadn't posted that day.
4: A lot of people looked at me as a like as an extension of, of Amir sometimes, just because I was responsible for so many different things within the company, and um, so I was constantly talking to him and with him, you know, on a daily basis.
0: As the demand to earn more intensified, Chase says Amir's communication with employees and creators in the house became aggressive and the responsibility to ensure members completed their work fell on Chase.
4: And then I sort of became the bad guy, which I hate this, but I became the bad guy because who works with the talent all the time? I did. So who was in charge of getting the house deliverables complete? I was. So then I had to blow up these creators' phones because I got Amir blowing me up, ripping my hair out. I'm like, Okay, you know, get this done, and I was always calm about it, and tried tried to explain like, okay, this is why we're doing it, this is what's going on, and then it just got so intense, and the volume was so high that I couldn't keep track of anything. So I was just like, two phones over here, left right, trying to call people and get brand deals done, like ten deals a day, and make sure you post on the house account, and also. I had to make sure they got their own personal brand deals done, you know, so they were making their money and and so forth. And then I was helping coordinate the media team to make sure that they could do their work and help the creators. And so it, it got very wild.
0: Whatever stress Chase was feeling was amplified at the creator level. And few influencers in the house were feeling that pressure as much as Leslie. Her fan base wasn't in the millions like the others. And for that reason, she constantly felt as though her job was in jeopardy She was excluded from high-exposure opportunities, like when Seventeen Magazine reached out to collaborate on a video and she was left out of the shoot completely. And when she tried to work with the in-house media team on her own projects, they were always busy filming and editing stuff for her more famous roommates. Then, one day, Amir hatched a plan to give Leslie a boost. He thought she should differentiate herself by leaning into her sexual orientation. Way into it.
4: Amir was like, Oh, you know, she, she's bisexual. Let's uh, let's exploit the heck out of that. You know, it'll, it'll make more money and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, no. And being someone who was part of that community, I took a lot of offense to that and I, I, I wasn't really open about all of that, you know, back then. So I, I didn't really stand up in that moment about it. And then I sort of just brushed it aside and I was like, okay, sure. That's the, that's the idea you have, you know, Let's talk to her about it and, you know, go from there. And we had a meeting with her at his house. He told her about all of it.
1: Then they would started making jokes that I should um, shave my head and start dressing more tomboy um, to appear more gay than what I was. They wanted me to date one of the girls in the house as a fake relationship so that we could appear more more diverse.
4: And I think out of fear... She jumped on it at the moment only because it was like, oh, if I don't do this, he's going to kick me out of the house. And then what am I going to do after?
0: Chase said he felt weird about the whole thing and hoped Amir would forget it. But Amir kept hounding him to make it happen.
4: He like went off on me one day and was like, I need this shit done right now. Like you, you, da, 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 like this is your job. And I was like, OK, so I sat down I put together a mood board. You know, I took some images and just kind of some ideas basing off what he, he had in his head. And just by knowing Leslie and, you know, her vibe and stuff.
1: He made me a Pinterest board of clothes that I should be wearing. And it was all very geared towards like Billie Eilish, very baggy clothes. And it just made me feel really weird just because I was the only girl in the house that they didn't want me to be a girl. And just being LGBTQ in general, like being bisexual and stuff, like, that's kind of like an identity crisis.
0: The whole thing sent her into a really negative spiral of comparison.
1: I'm living with all these beautiful girls. I mean, beautiful bodies, talented, smart, and it just kind of, that tore me up. I felt so bad about my body living there. I felt bad about my appearance all the time because I felt like I was being compared in a way that was like, oh, you're not pretty enough to dress like this or to act like them, so we need you to act like, a dyke in order to be interesting enough to be here. That whole situation was really tough for me, and I tried to be a team player. I tried to be, like, on board with it because every time something like this would come up, it would be told, like, this is, like, this is the industry. You know, like, you've got to be moldable.
0: Look, I'm sympathetic to Leslie. This is all so reductive and dehumanizing, and I would absolutely crumble if it were my job to look good in a bikini every day. I think this is a pretty useful illustration of the complexities that come with trying to make it on the internet. It's not that Leslie was against playing a type, exactly. She'd tried country girl and partier and hot person with blue hair. It's that she wanted to have a say in what those types would be, to feel comfortable enough to invent some and veto others, and to have her input trusted and valued. That was, after all, the grand promise of internet fame the ability for creators to exploit themselves on their own terms. A profiteer like Amir might think that's unrealistic, but from where Leslie was standing, it was the bare minimum. Another incident during her time there made Leslie suspect that Amir wanted to control more than just her work. In COVID lockdown, there were some hookups between house members. It was the kind of thing you'd expect to happen when a bunch of 20-somethings who work out for a living are forced to isolate together. When this got back to Amir, he created a system.
1: There was a board in the house that he made them tally if they had sex. He wanted to see who could go the longest without hooking up because there were several hookups that happened in the house. In the beginning, whenever that happened, he tried to dictate it.
4: He was like, all right, you know, this week, let's do an abstinence challenge. Whoever can go the longest without having sex gets a tally on the board. And then the winner at the end will get a prize or something. He was like, and let's film it, you know, let's film all the conversation about it and and then post it. He always wanted to film everything. It was like, oh, you know, someone's having a mental breakdown because their mental health is being ruined from this place.
0: Let's film it. Chase said he was so uncomfortable with this thing on the whiteboard that he eventually found an excuse to erase it. Around this time, Leslie said she was also berated in a meeting for being involved with another House member.
1: Whenever Amir had found out that we had been hooking up, I was the only girl that got called into the meeting with the boys and was uh, basically told that we couldn't do that. You know, we got yelled at. We were told that we would all get fired and stuff. It's not that he felt like it was inappropriate. I think that maybe he felt because it wasn't his idea and he wasn't in on it, that then he didn't like it. It was like a possessive thing. Like he wanted to control the situation.
0: If Leslie challenged one of Amir's ideas at a team meeting, say using a specific TikTok sound for a post, it sometimes resulted in a screaming match. Leslie says he'd often remind her that she could be replaced at any time. These comments were typical, according to a lot of ex-Clubhouse workers I spoke to. It happened to the videographer Kevin a few times, too.
4: Honestly, I have no idea why they were doing that, really. I guess to just make us work harder or just to, like, try to get us to, like, pump out more content or something like that. So they probably wanted, like, to scare us. Using it as some kind of tactic.
0: One person who was working on merch for the company, a guy named Jeremy DeKiros, put it this way.
4: Anyone is free game to just get replaced, you know, if you weren't performing the way you should have. If you were on the the lowest bracket of like growth, it was kind of like Love Island or like some reality show where if you were in the lowest, like you're going to get kicked out, you know, but there's always going to be someone at the lowest.
0: Adding to the pressure on Leslie, there were concerns within the house about her OnlyFans account. OnlyFans is an app where users can sign up for paid subscriptions to a creator's feed. There, they can view a stream of exclusive photos. Sex workers migrated to the app during the pandemic, which upped its popularity. At the time, influencers were also joining the platform to post more risque photo shoots and pad their monthly income. Leslie was one of those influencers. But Daisy and other creators were worried that Leslie's presence on the platform would solely their image.
2: At the time, no one in the house did it. Like, it was kind of like we wanted to... Keep a more, like, kid-friendly type of vibe to us. I do remember there being conversation about that.
0: In fact, at one point, other members of the House held a vote. Should they kick Leslie out? Daisy, for one, voted yes.
2: I did vote her out, just mainly because it was the OnlyFans thing. And at the time, it was just the image that, like, we were looking for was just different. Which, like, you know, we didn't judge her at all for doing whatever she wanted to do. Or what her past was. Like, we all have a past. Hearing about the politics
0: around Leslie's OnlyFans account, it occurred to me just how impossible a spot she was put in. Algorithms on YouTube or Instagram, and to some extent TikTok, automatically draw audiences towards sexier content. As someone who wanted to grow her following so she could get more opportunities and support herself, Leslie played into those incentives to earn engagement. And yet, if she crossed a certain line, she was persona non grata. It just showed me that if you didn't have the resources to maintain a certain image, The odds of winning at this game were stacked against you. What's even more confusing is that the standards for what counts as an acceptable image are constantly shifting. Not long after voting Leslie out of the House, Daisy started an OnlyFans account too. Anyway, according to Chase, Leslie wasn't automatically removed from the House because of this vote. But it was one more reason for her to feel on edge about her standing.
4: That was just something that Amir would leverage over Leslie's head constantly. It was always like, oh, you, don't, you shouldn't even be here because your content is too taboo for the house. And, you know, this and that. We're trying to be uh, family friendly and so forth.
0: At a certain point, this constant focus on her viability as an internet personality led Leslie to completely withdraw.
1: If Amir was around, even if it was for dinner, I just wouldn't eat. I would try to go hide in the room because I didn't want to be around for it. Like, my mental state was so fragile that I wasn't even leaving my room half the time to the point that Daisy's mom had to come in one day and just lay in the bed with me and be like, you can't
0: just, like, lay in here. Like, you have to get up and, like, keep pushing, you know? I should say that I've reached out to Amir repeatedly to ask him about all of this, and I haven't received a response. Then, one day in May of 2020... Leslie said she woke up to a text from a mirror that caused her to reach her breaking point.
1: The last straw for me was that text message that I got. I'd woken up to a very aggressive paragraph of me being cussed out in all caps, being told that I should be grateful for being here and that he can have me gone any minute, that they're looking at bigger creators. That was his threat all the time, is that they're bigger creators. I had been doing all of the work, I felt so drained emotionally that I was not feeling creative. Basically, he was upset that I hadn't made a TikTok to this random creator's song. We want to be a part of the decision making for who we're promoting, especially if the song has lyrics and stuff that we don't agree with. And you know, because this is our place of work, we know what we'll do, but it won't. He had asked me multiple days, but I was making all the other trending uh, TikToks for the house account and for my account.
0: And I just hadn't done it just yet. It was just one, one TikTok. So on May 17th, she met with Amir to discuss their working relationship face-to-face.
1: This meeting, I finally told him, I was like, Amir, if we we have a disagreement, is there a way that we could just like call a meeting? Or like if we could just talk to each other a little bit more professionally, because whenever I get text messages like this, it shuts me down and I don't feel creative. And I just feel like I'm walking on eggshells. First of all, he started it. By being like, oh, oh, Leslie, I think you're very smart. I think you're creative, you're very talented, blah, blah, blah. And then goes, you live in a fantasy land where you think everybody should be treated equally, and that's just not the industry that you work in. Because I had called him out on the fact that I was doing everybody's work and called him out on the fact that I was being very mistreated and that the way that he talked to me was not okay. And it's not like I was like, hey, don't talk to me like that. I was just like, hey. I'm hurt as fuck right now and I can't continue being spoken to like this. To the point that the whole meeting, I was like fighting back tears because I didn't want to talk to him. I hated being in the same room as this man. Like the worst feeling in the world, like being around this person.
0: Chase was at this meeting too and said Leslie's recollection is accurate. At the end of the summit, Leslie said they came to an agreement. She would take a break to regroup then come back and move into a better room.
4: The deal was, okay, go for a few weeks, um, take a breather, kind of reevaluate. And then when you come back, you have a place, you know, we're not gonna get rid of you. That's kind of how
0: Amir put it. Leslie agreed and left for a bit. But when she returned, she discovered her stuff had been completely moved out.
1: I came back to to get my stuff and they had thrown all my things behind the garage. They actually damaged a lot of my furniture. My shoes were kind of like scattered in the garage. A lot of my stuff was broken. Um, Handles to some of my dressers were missing.
0: She says, amid all this, Amir played dumb, like their last discussion never happened.
1: All this appealing stuff, just to turn around whenever I came back and act like he had no idea what I was talking about.
0: Leslie felt she had put a lot of work into growing Amir's business from recruiting friends to posting a stream of deliverables each week. And now, in this moment, she felt discarded. It was like being ghosted by her landlord and her boss at the same time.
1: There were a lot of red flags along the way that I wish I would have paid attention to, but I wanted so badly to succeed. Um, I wanted to be a part of something. I wanted, you know, I wanted to be successful, but that is what this industry does, is they kind of toy with your emotions.
0: Expelled from the house, Leslie was alone, dealing with the fallout, marinating in Amir's harsh words, wondering what her next step would be, or if there even was a next step.
1: You know, I almost ended my life leaving Clubhouse. It was really bad for me. It was it was that bad. Like like I've had holding back tears this whole time.
0: When I first met Leslie, I thought. Man, this is a person who knows who she is. So to hear how paralyzed with self-doubt she felt after just a few months at Clubhouse, that she even contemplated suicide, I wasn't only shocked, but I was really concerned. In part because so many other young people were joining this company and other content houses around Los Angeles that were similarly obsessed with followers and growth. Only a few months after Leslie left, Daisy was fed up with Clubhouse, too.
2: It was like end of July, beginning of August, something like that, and just felt really pressured to be very outgoing and, you know, very social and like, I need my time alone sometimes. I need to meditate. Um, So I was just learning a lot about myself and what I need to function properly. I was... Absolutely not okay with some of the things that were going on. Um, The way that people were being treated, it was, you know, against my moral code and how I want to treat people. It just wasn't aligning with me and my goals anymore. And I felt like I didn't have the power, the control that I felt that I did in the beginning.
0: She announced her departure in a YouTube video on August 4th. She'd been the face of Clubhouse for four whole months. The company had undoubtedly profited from her social media presence, feedback, and all the famous friends she'd recruited. But in all that time, she was never able to work out an equity agreement with Amir.
2: The end deal was never even fully decided. It was always very, like, nonchalant, very, um, oh, we're, like, talking to lawyers to get papers, like, just putting it off, you know? There was never, like, any decided, like, this person gets this much of the company, this gets that. It was very messy. When I
0: spoke to Daisy about this, she was exceedingly polite and mentioned several times she did not want to stir up drama. But I'll point out what she is in here, which is that nailing down percentage stakes and roles in a written contract is exactly the kind of thing you'd expect a manager to take care of. When I asked Chris Young why Daisy was never granted equity in the company, he simply said,
1: Amir didn't want you.
0: Chris declined to explain further, and he said that later on, he offered Daisy a 1% stake as a gift. She said she turned it down. He was able to offer that gift because, despite the way Clubhouse treated his client, he stayed with the company and would later receive hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equity and a high-up leadership role. Actually, bringing Chris into the fold was all part of a much bigger plan. As Chase tells it, Amir was laying the groundwork to make Clubhouse, the first content house operation on the stock market.
4: He got together with his other business partners that were also you know, within the company and so forth, and they started to take the company public.
0: On the next episode of This Blew Up.
4: There was a natural nexus between having a publicly traded company
3: and uh, having influencers.
4: That's whenever things started intensifying like hell bruh I would have so much money right now we wouldn't even be here
2: and I just see these like four like huge men with like bandanas over their faces and basically just saying like get your shit or we're gonna throw your shit out ourselves
3: listen what the hell's going on?
1: it was like wow did he really say that?
0: thanks for listening to this blue web If you're enjoying the pod, please, please, please take a moment to tell a friend about it. I don't even have close to the amount of followers as the influencers on this podcast. So your word of mouth is the most valuable promotional tool we've got. This Blow Up was written and reported by me, Alyssa Bereznak. Its executive producers are Juliet Littman and Sean Fennessy. Our story editors are Connor Nevins and Amanda Dobbins. The show was produced by me, Kaya McMullen, and Vikram Patel. Copy editing by Craig Gaines. Fact checking by Juliana Ress. Special thanks to Erica Cervantes, who helped with research in early production. The theme song and some of the other music tracks you heard in this episode were composed by Devin Rinaldo. Other music you heard in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Sound design by Kaya McMullen. Mixing and mastering by Scott Somerville. Art direction by David Shoemaker. Illustration by Alicia Tenoyan. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next time.